Emma Adejola, a dynamic, spirit-filled, internationally acclaimed evangelist intercessor whose cross-disciplinary studies, multiple spiritual gifts, certifications in health, lymphology, and naturopathic studies complement her ministry of health, healing, and deliverance. Raymond, 
It's a feast this morning. So you can't sleep and I'm ready for you. Now the Israelites have been liberated after 400 years of slavery. Yeah, I like that from the word of God. And they were promised to go to the land of Canaan, which we know today as Palestine. You've never seen so much fighting and warring as we see in that area today. It is still a war between who? The adversary versus the Lord. He's still trying to claim what is not his. Now, Moses was chosen by God to be the leader for his people at that time and to witness to the nation. That's what the whole group of Israelites were to do. They were to be a witness to who? The whole nation as to the one who is the true living God. We know that God gave Moses Ten Commandments. And some people might say, oh yeah, I know all about that. But we're still not obeying those, right? He gave Moses civil and ceremonial laws. Then, ultimately, he gave them instructions for the people to construct them a tabernacle. Because God says, I want to be present among my people. Therefore, we turn to what was known as the tabernacle. It was mostly a tent, and a tent that was a centerpiece for the Israelites during that wilderness experience. It was supposed to be keeping their minds coming back because we tend to be what? Forgetful about the things and the goodness of God, the things that he has given to us. The tabernacle was easily pitched and it was easily what? Taken apart also for the purpose of travel. And then it became the worship center for the people. In other words, they would come together so that in that place where God would be, that would be the place to be, which is where you are this morning in one of God's sanctuaries throughout the world. Now, in our Bible, we have 37 chapters that have been dedicated to just that very conversation about the sanctuary of God. Now, you think God is foolish where he would have his inspired writers put that many chapters about that one topic and that it not be meaningful to us? Yes, it is, in fact, meaningful. Now, I found in looking through that it said the book of Exodus alone has 13 chapters dedicated to the discussion about the tabernacle and what God wanted. The book of Leviticus had 18 chapters on that. Then we go to the New Testament, also in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, we have two chapters dedicated to that. But in the New Testament, we have the book of uh, Hebrews, that which is made up of about 13 chapters, and 30% of Hebrews talks about the tabernacle. That's a total of possibly like four chapters. Now, the tabernacle, I said before, is the, was the worship center for the people, and it was God's object lesson. Just like we would use in the classroom what we call audiovisual aids, visuals for the children to better comprehend what's going on, such was the tabernacle. It was full of symbols. All the different furnitures, you have the outer court, where the people brought the animals to be sacrificed. Some of us still do not even understand what the sacrifice was all about. But all the things about God's tabernacle had to do with leading us to understanding where we are today. There are two major purposes for that. One is that we know the true God, and the second was that we know that the Messiah would be coming to fulfill that which needed to be. So we have types and we had shadows of things that were to come. 
In that tabernacle, we also see in our literature uh, that the priests played a part. And as I mentioned before, when the people came, they came to what was known as the outer court. Like you would have your outside where people come before they knock upon your door. They would do the sacrifice of the animals. Then as you go into the first apartment, which some people uh, call the uh, holy place, then you had in there, outside there was a laver, which like in Spanish you say lavar, so it means to wash. All that was out there, all the bloody stuff was outside. But once you entered into the first apartment, there you had the, the candlesticks, and then you had the uh, altar of incense. Outside in the outer court, you had the altar where the um, altar of burnings for the sacrifice to be burned but inside we have the altar of incense then you have the showbread the table with the showbread all of these things have meaning i don't pretend to go into all of that because one of those alone you can take a whole sermon with it but the broad scenario and keep in mind that my theme this morning is that what we should be a living sanctuary for god amen now beyond that between the outer court and the first apartment, there was a veil. Meaning that something was separating something. Once you stepped into the holy place, then the priest started his ministration. But then beyond the first apartment was the most holy place. That was where God's holy presence would really be. There was not anybody who should enter that most holy place but who? That priest that was appointed for that purpose and even the priest had to obey lots and lots of rules and instructions because if he didn't, he would be killed. So don't fool yourself because you come to church every day and every Sabbath that God has some special place for you where you can just presumptuously do your thing when you want to do it. Like some of our people sing these songs of it's your thing, do what you want to do. You turn on your TV and everybody's doing his own thing. You don't have to say, man, I know all about it. Now the tabernacle, <laughs> picture the ministry of Jesus and also it pictures the ministry of the church and if it talks about the ministry of the church we can look in the book of first corinthians 6 19 through 20 go there take your source first corinthians 6 19 through 20 very familiar scripture where it says what know ye not that your body is the what temple of the holy ghost but then again, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it didn't say Holy Ghost. It said, if your body is a temple of God. You know, a lot of people have a problem looking at the Holy Ghost as God. Even Jesus, some people have a problem looking at Jesus as God. But he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Praise him. Now, the tabernacle to the Christian believer it means follow God's instructions. It was all about obeying what God had to say. Then we have standing as a strong witness to the Lord. You and I ought to be the body, the temple of the Holy Ghost. 2 Corinthians 6.16. Let's turn there. It talks about my people. What will they be? And I will be their God. What did God say? Talk to me. You don't want any dead people in here. I said a living sanctuary, not a dead one. Let's go. Second Corinthians, anybody have it? Read it out for me. 616. And what agreement have with the temple of God with idols? For ye are what? The temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and 
shall be my people. There's an intimate relationship between your body and the living God. You are not your own. And this body is not a garbage can. In which to do every filthy thing, be it eating, thinking, or whatever. The system of sacrifice existed back then, and it was for the main purpose of teaching men how to be humble. When Adam had to slay the first animal in sacrifice, it must have really pained and hurt him. Because up until that point, there was no death, except that through what? His son, when Cain slew, Abel. It was not God's will for death to be a part of us and sacrificing and all the things that had to be done. Praise God, you're quiet. So the first Adam, when he raised that hand, we know that it had to be some pain involved. Likewise today, when there's pain involved, somebody killed, somebody sacrificed for whatever reason, somebody abused, somebody raped, somebody sick, diseased. God is not in heaven laughing at you. Because the Bible tells us that he wished that no one of us would perish. For hell was never prepared for us. It was prepared for the devil and the host of hell. If you want to go there, that's your choice. Now, the sacrifice typified what Jesus was about to do. And the sacrificial system became perverted, just like it is today. You come, you get baptized, you said, I'm a part of the family of God. And oh, we sing it, oh, I'm so glad. I'm a part of the family of God. And we sing it up, oh boy, I've been washed. And then we go out there and do all the dirty things that God said not to do. We need to pay attention to the words that we sing. Now, back then, people went into idolatry. Even when Moses was up in the mountain, they were down there cooking up all the roughness that they could do. So man has a carnal nature that's prone to sin. And there is safety in coming out to church. There is safety in having a prayer partner, as we said last night. There is safety in coming before God every day to ask Him to help us to be overcoming, believing Christians. So the sacrificial system wasn't just there because God liked the sight of blood. When Jesus became the actual sacrifice, he shed that blood on the cross for you and for me. And lately, throughout this year, I'm more impressed than ever whenever I pray for someone who is sick and who might be having his mind going towards the devil, I say... Are you truly penitent? Are you truly sorry? Just like 
people bringing those sacrificial offerings? Did they bring it just to witness blood or to get rid of an animal? No. They had to bring the best animal that they had without any blemishes because when you're giving anything to God, it must be the best for your benefit. It can't be left over. Like a tithing offering, you don't give him what's left back from your bills. From your bills. You give him all the Just like the IRS takes their books. And you don't say anything. Give God his due. And that's you. Your turn. Your temple belongs to God. So the devotion, the zeal with which you worship God is extremely important. Some of us would memorize the Bible and we come around with our faces still long and we love to bash people with scripture. But when it comes to living the scripture, we fail. And Jesus Christ, as the song said, has never failed me yet. He hasn't failed you either. Find one text where Jesus failed somebody. Or when God failed somebody. But we are very efficient in failing him. But he said, if any man sin, we have an advocate. We need to go to Christ Jesus. Not the Pope. Not to a confession box, but to Christ Jesus. Now why did I go that this morning? Because to me, our body is a sampling of the sanctuary. If we look at what you see outside externally, that's your outer court. I can see your outer court. I see your face. I see your arms. I see your clothing. I see what's outside. But I know not what is going on within your heart, within your mind. But God does. So that's your holy place. It's hidden from me. The veil between your outer court and your insides. In your skin, your flesh, your eyes, your hair, all what God did to beautify all that. Because if they were to skin you alive, you would want to see the fleshy part. Would you? You ever seen an animal being skinned? It's repulsive looking. But the same God who has the most holy place where he alone dwells, he gave you a most holy place, which is the inner, inner you that nobody knows. And that's where the Holy Spirit wants to dwell. Inside of you. So that indeed, you can be a holy sanctuary unto God. God, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Pure and holy, kind and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary just for you. Then in the book of Romans 12, 1 and 2, we hear from, the, um, from Paul. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. A living sanctuary. Then he goes on in number two to say, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. We're told about the sanctuary. We're told about the tabernacle, and even when they destroyed Solomon's 
when they rebuilt it, it was much better than the one before. And it tells me, just like Job, when they took everything from him, and poor Job didn't know what the hurricane and tornadoes were that were hitting him. No, why? But God has a way of doing what? Restoration. He's good at restoring unto you more than you had before. If you would just obey and listen to the must. So no matter what is going on in your life, he can give you more than you have right now. Doesn't matter who has plenty today, it can be taken from you tomorrow. Now, in medicine, our bodies, we're looking at the physical part of you. Why you have to take care of that outer court and that holy place? Because if you don't, where will the most holy place be? It wouldn't even exist, right? Because God will take back his spirit because he's the one that gives it to you. You have a right to protect the sanctuary, the walls and everything, the interior. The same way with your body. You have a right to protect your body externally and within. And externally, let me get to those of us who dress half naked. See, all of this has to do with your health too. You see people in sub-zero winter wearing mini skirts up to their hip and go-go boots and heavy stuff going on out there. You don't take care of your body when you expose it to cold like that. You don't take care of your body when you have cleavage down there and some man is looking down into your bosom and he can tell what breast cup you, what size cup you have. We have to take care of the outer foot by adorning this body the way God would have it. And the inner one by what you put into your mouth. Now some people love the corner, but it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man. I say, shut up. Take that thing within its context. If you put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. If you put nonsense into your bowel, what do you expect it to come out of there? We talked this week about people with those big fidget bones. Breast big from, the, from beneath the breast coming down. Can't even see the toes. Some can't even bend over. That's not normal. It means you're impacted with all kinds of fecal stuff in there that needs to come out. And same way your body needs to be detoxified, your mind needs to be detoxified. So you need a spiritual detox in order to do the physical one that God gave to you. Come on, you better talk to me this morning. That wasn't written anywhere. That came straight from up there. So detoxification is necessary in our mind in order to repent, in order to come to God, in order to forsake all the rotten things and leave them behind us. We need Jesus to take care of it. And when you say you won't do something anymore, you need to keep your word. And if you know you can't keep your word, ask God to help you keep it. We need the Lord. People need the Lord. You hear what I'm saying? People need the Lord. Some of us think we can do without him. So we don't do any worshiping in the morning and we forget him in the evening. We crawl into bed without any prayers. Then we face the enemy who is well prepared. Always in full armor to do devilment. Are you filled with God's armor to do God's work? Do you have your body a living sacrifice for God? Are you adorning your outer court the way you should? What about your mind? Do you know even the very behavior you have affects you all over every organ in your body? If you have a hot temper, if you're a bitter person, if you're prone to anger and treating people the way you feel, don't you know your liver and your kidneys are all involved? 
Don't you know that your brain cells are all involved? They're electric and wired, and when you short circuit the brain with nonsense, your brain can't think of all this stuff. You're shooting yourself. You're killing yourself. Some of us put so much trash into our bodies. It's not just the food, it's your attitude about the food. Because if God knows all you have is one piece of bread, he's not there to beat you up or eating that. That's all you got, that's all you got. But when you have a choice, do the right thing. Do the right thing. Your heart is involved when you get all the rotten and nasty with each other. Of course it is. Somebody gives you bad news and you're having your meeting like, oh, my stomach, I'm not hungry anymore. The stomach is involved. Your nerves are involved. That's why this morning I didn't just stand on any particular disease because we have a disease and it's called disobedience. And God is not having any part of it. We have to clean up our lives mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally in order to function the way God wants us to function. And one part of medicine today is very much permeated by a theory known as a free radical theory. When we speak about free radicals, we speak about oxygen and the state of that oxygen. The normal state is oxygen 2, but when oxygen 2 becomes oxygen 1, it behaves like the devil. So it becomes known as a free radical. Why? Because that free radical with just one is looking for another one with which to pair. And it will run through like a hurricane and seek another partner. Some of us seek like that. We are drawn to rotten You ever notice that? Rotten people tend to draw other rotten people. So it must be that you go around good people, something is going to rub off on you. But if you plant yourself in the midst of rottenness and think you're going to come on clean, you've got another story thinking. Quite the opposite is going to happen. The person who wants to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Oh, I'll convert him. He'll come around to the Lord, but right now we love. What love? <laughs> You're in for a treat if you think that's true. Because instead of you pulling that person up, he'll pull you down spiritually. But you need to always be looking up. Lord, it be and I shall by faith and firm stable. And 
I say also, that is like the building block to a house. You can build upon that. We build on the rock, which is Jesus. And if God gave us the map, why don't we use the map? You know, you can drive a Volkswagen and get to a point. You can drive a Cadillac and get there. You drive the driveway, you get there. You're going to decide how you're going to get to where God wants you to be. Are you going to take the best vehicle or will you settle for whatever you can get? God took you wherever you were and brought you into his midst. He called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. And he told you time and again, if you sin, you just come to me. Cast your cares upon me because I care for you. You can't do it alone. And in times like these, everybody needs somebody. Everybody is getting licks. Even on the financial level, you'll find that you used to have lots of money and all of a sudden you don't have any. You had a house and it suddenly vanished. You wonder why. You had children that used to obey the Lord. Suddenly they're going off doing their own thing. All sorts of things are happening. We look at the homeless people and you better shut up about homelessness because you might be next. Nothing is sure anymore. But there's one sure thing and that's God. And his love for mankind. He cares for us. When are we going to care about him? So in order to restore you, you have to take the first step. And that's why I'm coming to you this morning. You take the first step toward him.
blessing upon those who came forward. They have believed, dear Father, and we're touching them right now. May your Holy Spirit move through this sanctuary. Through the healings and healings that have been asked of thee. And pray, oh Father, in the name of Christ Jesus, that in your holy deliverance name, you will. Thank you. 